Coming off the best Longhorn season in over a decade, is it possible that Texas can be even more explosive on offense heading into the SEC? You are Locked On Longhorns, your daily podcast on the Texas Longhorns. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Locked on Longhorns, the show. Jonathan Davis, your host. Today's episode of Locked on Longhorns is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. So visit FanDuel.com slash Locked on to get started. On today's episode of Locked on Longhorns, we are discussing the Texas offense in 2024 and why it might be even more explosive than the offense we just saw this past season in the second segment. After all the controversy around horns down and this Texas basketball team is starting one and three in conference play 0 and two at home. Rodney Terry and this basketball team picked up a huge top 10 victory over the Baylor Bears in the Moody Center on Saturday. We discussed that. And in the last segment, there's been a lot of smoke about who is going to be the defensive line coach that replaces Bo Davis. And most of that smoke has led us to Texans assistant defensive line coach and former All-American at Texas, Rod Wright. So will he be the choice and does he make sense for this position at his alma mater? All of that and more on today's episode of Locked On Longhorns, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So when you look at it in 2023, we're coming off, you know, as I previously said, the best season in over a decade for the Texas Longhorns. And one thing we knew when we got Steve Sarkeesian in 2021 is that this would be a team that would win games offensively. Right. I don't know if we expected the defense to to take the, the steps that they have in just three short years. But we knew that this would be a team that would be a reflection of Steve Sarkeesian with very explosive offenses. And I think at times we saw that in 2021. I think we kind of took a step towards that in 2022. But I think we truly became an explosive and elite offense in 2023. Now, some people will say it wasn't elite because we struggled to score in the red zone. So maybe it was just elite from the 20s to the 20s. But nonetheless, right, by almost any metric you look at outside of red zone offense, right, we were one of the most explosive offenses in the country in 2023. And it might sound crazy to think that this offense could be even more explosive in 2024. But based on what we're seeing right now, that looks like it could be the case. When you look at what we've pulled in in this 2024 recruiting class out of high school, if you look at what we've pulled in in this 2024 recruiting class in terms of the transfer portal, and if you look at some of the key pieces on this 2023 team that are returning on the offensive side of the ball, then you would imagine that 2024 heading into the SEC could be an opportunity for this offense to be even more explosive, right? And so on today's episode of Locked on Longhorns, I'll tell you why the 2024 offense could be even more explosive. The first reason is I think 2024 should be the most creative we have seen Sark in terms of play design and play calling, right? Um, when you look at what he has this year, right? This looks like a Steve Sarkeesian team on offense, right? This looks like a Steve Sarkeesian build. I know on the pivot episode last year before the season, he said, you know, they're starting to walk like my team. They're starting to practice like my team. They look like my team. And, you know, we were 11 yards away from the national championship. So I have to say Steve Sarkeesian was right in terms of that. But based on what he wants to do on offense, right, we know his offense is predicated around the inside zone run game. I think you can do that at a very high level with uh, Cedric Baxter and Jaden Blue. 
pretty much very athletic and versatile players at the tight end position. You now have that with Amari Nyblack and Gunnar Helm and speed all over the field at the wide receiver position, creating opportunities for yak and deep shots. I think that's what's going to be unique to this 2024 offense that we have not seen yet you know, since 2021, since Sark arrived, right? We've had the inside run game with Jonathan Brooks and B. John Robinson and uh, Roshan Johnson, right, at a consistent level. We've had the tight end play with Jatavian Sanders and Gunnar Helm. Now Gunnar Helm will be taking uh, that next step at the 40 acres. But we haven't had speed all over the field at the wide receiver position. We've had good wide receivers, very talented wide receivers. I think Adonai Mitchell might be the best receiver that has played under Sark at the University of Texas. But in terms of speed all over the field at all of those wide receiver positions, that is unique to this 2024 offense. And I think with Sark having all of that speed, as well as all of the other components in his offense that he is used to, we might see the most explosive offense in 2024 that we've seen thus far at the 40 acres, largely because I think Sark will be the most creative he has been since 2021 in terms of play calling and play design. This group in terms of offense that we're going to see in 2024 is best equipped out of any of the previous three to do everything that I mentioned in terms of since the 2021 season. The major difference being this will be the fastest offense Sark has fielded at the University of Texas by far. So I think that'll, you know, <laughs> you know, get Sark to be a little bit more creative in terms of play calling, play design, how to use all of these playmakers. And I think that could lead to us being more explosive in 2024. In 2023, Texas undoubtedly had a top 10 quarterback in Quinn Ewers. I won't say he was top five, maybe top five at times, but I think undoubtedly he was a top 10 quarterback in college football. This year, they have the opportunity to have the best quarterback in college football. One, because you have, you know, pretty much all of the best quarterbacks in college football last year heading to the NFL draft. But I think in year three in this offense uh, with more development, maturity and improvement from Quinn Ewers, he certainly could be the best quarterback in college football. I don't think that would surprise anybody going into next season, unless you hate the university of Texas or Quinn Ewers, right? Naturally, because of experience and development in year three, we would expect Quinn Ewers to be better. But I think that in specific areas, if he can improve that, will directly translate to this offense being more explosive, right? So if he can improve in terms of his deep ball chemistry with wide receivers, not just him being better at the deep ball, but the chemistry with the deep ball receivers down the field, right? Seeing the field better in terms of seeing the defense, understanding what the defense is giving you, and then making the right play based on that, showing poise under pressure. We've seen a tendency from Quinn Ewers to take off and run, which is not a bad thing, right? But that has led to him getting hurt, you know, especially, uh, you know, this past season. And then getting out of the pocket led to him getting hurt uh, in 2022 against Alabama or, you know, just kind of shutting down, right. And, and not being able to, to still make plays, navigate pressure and decide where to go with the ball. I think that's an area improvement he can show, uh, this year and then making tight window throws, right. We've seen the ability to make, you know, throws all over the field, especially when Steve Sarkeesian schemes wide receivers open, but when defenses have our number, when defenses are playing tight coverage on our wide receivers, can you still make plays and move the ball down the field by putting the ball where only your wide receiver has a chance to go get it? So I think those are some of the areas where Quinn Ewers can take a big jump in 2024. And if he takes that jump, then I think there's no question in my mind will be a more explosive offense in 2024 because if Quinn Ewers improves in those areas, he'll be a significantly better quarterback than we saw the last two years at the University of Texas. And he was really good in 2023. Last year, Quinn made jumps in yards per game, yards per attempt, completion percentage, and touchdown to interception ratio. I would expect the same 
2024. When you look at the offensive line, I think they played really well down the stretch of the season. But when you look at this unit in 2024, they are capable of winning the Joe Moore Award for the best offensive line in college football. Right. And I think the fact that they're going to be very explosive on offense uh, contributes to that. Right. Because let's be honest, like like we know, like these people at these desks and the people that are picking these awards, they're not watching, you know, 14 games straight of offensive line play, right? Like they're not judging it like that. They're basically going to who has one of the most talented offensive lines on one of the best offenses in the country. And I think the university of Texas will fit that criteria in 2024, right? Over a hundred games of combined experience on the offensive line. You have a true superstar on that offensive line and left tackle Kelvin Banks. And you have four returning starters from last season and all five projected starters are juniors or older, right? All five of your projected starters have been on campus since 2022 or before, even if you start Cam Williams at right tackle for the first time. So like I said, I predicted on the show already that this Texas offensive line will win the Joe Moore award in 2024, but also this offensive line would be the biggest reasons why I think Texas can take that next step offensively in 2024. I think the pickup of Amari Nyblack at tight end was huge for the university of Texas, right? I thought that with JT Sanders going to the NFL draft, there would be a huge void there in terms of who was your tight end too. I had faith in Gunnar Helm taking that next step and being a, a very versatile, you know, receiving and blocking tight end for us, but who was going to come in in 12 personnel and be that other threat on the other side, right? And we know Texas and, you know, Steve Sarkeesian really master in that 12 personnel with two tight ends, especially in the run game, right? When you look at what Amari Nyblack brings to the table, right, he may not be JT Sanders in terms of high in playmaking and athleticism, but he's certainly <laughs> right, probably the closest thing you were going to get in the transfer portal, the number one tight end. So high-end athleticism and playmaking while still having Gunnar Helm be a big part of this offense, I think that was a huge pickup in the transfer portal. When you look at it last year, he only had 20 catches on the season, but five of them went for over 20 yards, right? So over 25% of his catches went for over 20 yards, and he averaged 16 yards per reception. So one of the most explosive players in the country at the tight end position, and he'll now be playing at the University of Texas where Sark knows how to utilize tight ends better than almost anybody in the country when you look at the running back position Jaden blue only had 79 touches in 2023 with 49 of those coming in the last four games particularly because jonathan brooks tore his acl when you look at it Jaden blue posted the fastest top speed by a running back in college football last year getting up to 22.3 miles per hour on a touchdown run against texas tech that was the fastest top speed posted by any running back in college football last season at any level. And when you look at it, his touches should basically double next season because now he'll be the number two running back. And, you know, he'll be getting those number two running back carries and touches that Roshan Johnson got, that Cedric Baxter got last year, and now Jaden Blue will get in 2024. And he is undoubtedly one of the most explosive players in college football. Every time you put the ball in Jaden Blue's hands, he is a threat to hit his head on the goalpost, right? So if you're doubling his touches from 2023 to 2024, naturally, that means that the Texas offense should be more explosive if Jaden Blue shows us what he's shown us at every level of football since he was a kid, right? And I think Cedric Baxter will continue the 1,000-yard uh, rushing streak under Steve Sarkeesian, and he should be one of the better running backs in the country as well. So, and when you look at these wide receivers, however they are utilized, right? You know, however many targets they get, if they get carries, kick returns, whatever, your top four wide receivers in Isaiah Bond, Matthew Golden, Silas Bolden, and Jonte Cook all probably run a 4-4-4 or faster, right? I think all four of those guys would run a 4-4-4 or faster. That's not something you would say with confidence about Adonai Mitchell, Jordan Whittington, or any other second or third receiver we've had the past three years outside of Xavier Worthy. So, 
as I mentioned before, that level of speed, playmaking, and big playability after the catch we have not seen at the wide receiver position as a collective at the University of Texas since 2021 when Steve Sarkeesian took over. And when you look at the pieces at each level of this offense, the experience, the development coming back, and just the true playmaking that you have at each position, there's no question in my mind that not only they can be more explosive in 2024, they will be more explosive in the 2024 season. Today's episode of Locked On Longhorns is brought to you by FanDuel. The NFL regular season is wrapping up, but there's still time to get in on the action with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's $150 in bonus bets, win or lose. The app is so easy to use, and there are so many different ways to bet, like live same-game parlays, finding bets in the new Explore tab, making a parlay in the Parlay Hub, the best way to find popular parlays, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and make your first bet a layup with FanDuel, the official partner of the National Football League. So we're about... I guess a little bit past halfway, past January, but in terms of conference play and the college basketball season, we're really getting started, right? Or you could say like we're in the middle of it, we're in the thick of it, we're in conference play. Still, you know, two more months of intense basketball to be played to determine who's going to make the tournament, you know, who's going to win the conference and who will go on to be the national champion and uh, cut down the nets in the NCAA tournament. And when you're this early in the season, you'd be hard pressed to find a game that's truly a must win, right? Like even if a team is sliding, even if a team is not performing well, it's hard to say that a game on January 20th is a must win, but that's what I'm going to say. <laughs> I think the game on January 20th between Texas and Baylor was a must win for the university of Texas. And I'll explain why I think one coming off of the elite eight run that we had last year, there were a lot of expectations for this Texas basketball team. Also, even though those transfers haven't panned out the way that we thought they would, Rodney Terry still did a really good job of going out and refortifying this basketball team via the transfer portal and then getting two players that were huge parts of this team last year and Dylan Mitchell and Tyrese Hunter to come back this season, right? And so then you expected, oh, and then Dylan DeSue, right? So then you expected, oh, okay, we should be one of the best teams in the country. And that just hasn't materialized just yet, right? I also forgot to mention Katie Shedrick, geez. <laughs> this is what happens when I try to go off the top of my head, right? Instead of looking at my notes. And so, you know, the expectations were very high for this team coming into the season. And then, you know, basically every good team they've played thus far, they've lost to, and then they've had some shortcomings so far in big 12 conference play, you know, starting off 0 and two at home and then one and three with losses to UCF and West Virginia. And even though Kansas has lost to those teams as well, those are bad losses, <laughs> right? You know, based on, you know, where the programs are, you know, respectively. And so, you know, there was a lot of smoke around Rodney Terry and he's already kind of coaching for his job. Right. I mean, he has a he has a contract and um, I think he at least will be the coach for the next two years at the University of Texas, regardless of what happens. But there's a lot of people that feel like he should have never gotten the job in the first place or, you know, um, we could have done better in terms of the coaching search. And you can definitely feel that pressure and <laughs> you can feel that tension. Right. And so I, I definitely know that uh, Rodney Terry can feel that. And I think that based on the way things started in conference play and based on the whole horns down controversy, which I don't think that Rodney Terry been any harm. Right. Like, I think he was just emotional after a loss. He felt like, you know, the other team was showing him up and showing his team up and 
you know, dancing on the logo and throwing up the horns down. And he was just like, you know, let's win with class. Like, you know, you don't have to do all of that. Like you're doing too much. And I felt him on a personal level. But of course, the majority of the Texas fan base took it personally because they were like, now we have to deal with what Rodney Terry said. Like we have to get on Twitter or social media or whatever and deal with the perception that the Texas fan base is soft. Right. So I don't think that like Rodney Terry meant any harm. But he caused harm, right? Because the entire Texas fan base had to deal with all those narratives and all those jokes that everybody came up with and came about because Ronnie Terry dared, right, to complain about horns down. And they still bring up Mac uh, Brown, you know, complaining about it. So that's something that'll never go away uh, with Ronnie Terry. But I don't want to bury the lead. But, but there's so much going on around the program with them looking disappointing on the basketball court, them losing to one of their biggest rivals in basketball in Texas Tech, them losing to UCF in West Virginia, which looked like very underwhelming losses, right? And then, you know, the whole horns down thing put a lot of pressure on this basketball team. And, oh, yeah, your next game, you have a top 10 team in the country coming into the Moody Center. I think if Texas lost this game on Saturday, like I said, it's kind of early to say it's a must win. But I think if Texas lost this game on Saturday, a lot of the faith in the program and what little faith was left in Rodney Terry after the horns down fiasco would have dissipated very quickly. Like, I think this that was a turning point game on Saturday for this basketball team. And I think if they lost it, the outlook of this basketball team for the rest of the season would have been very bleak. And, you know, it's early, but the projections before the Baylor game had Texas not even making the tournament. You lose that game and forfeit an opportunity to get a top 10 win based on your already unimpressive resume up until this point. And you can almost kiss the tournament goodbye. Right. Unless you you know plan on winning the Big 12 tournament again or just, you know, completely, you know, reversing your trajectory over the next couple of months. Um, and they did a really good job of blocking out the noise, you know, um, stepping up to the pressure that was on them uh, to win this game and, you know, change the trajectory of things that were happening over the last couple of weeks within this basketball program at the University of Texas. And they did just that. Um, and a huge basketball win by two points over a top 10 Baylor team in the country. Once again, what I loved about what I saw, sorry, I, it took me so long to set this up. I just got to rambling. Um, the team was unconscious from the field in the first half, especially from the three point line. I do not believe they made a three in the second half, but even though they cooled down, they found a way to get out the win. Right. And I love when a team is not hitting offensively, but they can make up for it on the defensive side of the ball. Right. They didn't just try to you know, outshoot Baylor in the second half. Like they realized their shots weren't falling like they were in the first half and they locked down and got gritty on the defensive end and made sure they came out with the win. Tyrese Hunter had 21 points. Uh, and I don't think you need 21 points um, on a nightly basis from Tyrese Hunter. I don't think you need Tyrese Hunter to be your leading scorer on a nightly basis. I don't even think you need Tyrese Hunter to hit four threes on a nightly basis. Now, of course, that'd be great. You probably win the majority of your games if you did. But what you do need is him to show up and be a part of the big three every night, right? Dylan DeSue, Max Acemas, and Tyrese Hunter have to be a big three every night. This team was not built for Tyrese Hunter to just be another player on this basketball team. This team was not built for Tyrese Hunter to just be a spot up shooter and just be happy whenever his opportunities come his way. Right. Like this team was built for Tyrese Hunter to take the next step in year three and be a part or half of one of the best backcourts in the country between Max Acemas and Tyrese Hunter. And up until this point, we have not seen that on a consistent level, but we saw that on Saturday, including the game winning layup by Tyrese Hunter. If he can add that value to this basketball team 
every game being a legitimate third option and not just being somebody who stands on the corner and waits for his turn to shoot threes, then I think you'll see a better Texas basketball team moving forward. But Tyrese Hunter has to be a part of the big three and not just another role player on this basketball team. He has to carry his weight offensively every night like Dylan DeSue and Max Aceman's do. Kendall Weaver's effort level was a huge reason that Texas won. He played 19 minutes, only scored two points. But anybody that watched that game can tell you that how big of an impact uh, Kendall Weaver's energy and effort played into Texas winning that game, especially on the game-clinching offensive rebound, right, where he boxed out, fell to the floor, and tapped the ball out to the wing to make sure that Texas got more free throws. And ultimately, that was the reason they won the game. So Kendall Weaver, if you look at the box score, you'll think he did nothing. If you watch the game, you'll realize why he was a hero on Saturday. And I think Rodney Terry did a really good job of coaching down the stretch. I know some people questioned his decision uh, not to foul, which allowed them to tie it, but it just gave us the theatrics at the end with the Tyrese Hunter game winner. But outside of that, you know, I think he did a really good job of coaching down the stretch, particularly using his timeouts to preserve DeSue down the stretch. I think DeSue had his fifth foul with like, or excuse me, his fourth foul uh, with like four or five minutes left. And every time on the defensive side of the ball, outside of like one or two possessions, uh, Rodney Terry will call a timeout and take Dylan DeSue out and put Caden Shedrick in so that Dylan DeSue would not have to uh, play defense and, you know, potentially pick up that fifth foul. And that ended up being the difference maker for them because Dylan DeSue was able to provide offense for Texas the whole way down the stretch, you know, at the end of the game while not having to play defense and, you know, worry about picking up that fifth foul. And then also the play that he called, the game winning play to, to Tyrese Hunter, you know, kind of the hook and ladder where, uh, you know, Tyrese Hunter throws the ball into – uh, Max Aismas, Max Aismas throws the ball to Dylan DeSue. Max Aismas kind of clears out. Dylan DeSue holds the ball, and then Tyrese Hunter just takes off on a beeline. Um, and then, you know, like Dylan DeSue kind of just tosses the ball to him. And then now Tyrese Hunter has a full head of steam, and he's one-on-one, -on -one and his defender is sitting back, right? And then Tyrese Hunter was just basically able to beat him to the spot. Uh, he went up, nice hang time on the layup, because it did look like the defender got, you know, a good chance to go up and block it. But he had nice hang time, bounced it off the, you know, the square, and the rest is history. So a huge win uh, for Texas, huge win for Ronnie Terry, huge win for all of the players. Like I said, they started off really shaky in conference play, uh, had lost, you know, their only two games to really good opponents in terms of uh, – who did they play? Jeez, I just drew a blank so fast. Marquette and UConn, right? The defending national champions. And they had a tough test, right? Based on everything that was going on with the program. Like I said, the horns down controversy and the number 10 team in the country, number nine team in the country, excuse me, coming into the Moody Center. But they held serve on their home court and made sure they went out and got a victory. And now they have a chance to double up and get two wins in a row against Oklahoma tomorrow on the road. A quick word from our sponsors. And we discuss Will Rod Wright, former All-American at Texas, be our next defensive line coach. All right. So obviously, you know, I've talked on here multiple times about how the loss of Bo Davis was a huge one uh, for this University of Texas football program. I've talked about how the loss of Bo Davis has directly affected us. And it's only been 12 days since he left, right? Not even 12 full days because I record first thing in the morning, but you could attribute the loss of Jamari Caldwell to the University of Oregon to Bo Davis leap, right? You could attribute uh, Dominic McKinley being at LSU to Bo Davis going back to LSU, right? And you can attribute DeAndre Robinson being at the University of Florida to Bo Davis going back to LSU, right? And so that's three players that could have fortified the defensive tackle room at the University of Texas that have moved on to what they think is greener pastures because we don't have Bo Davis. 
Now, the rumor is, is that Texas had identified a defensive line coach, but they had to wait until a certain team lost in the NFL playoffs so that they could announce that hype or make that higher. Right. Similar to last year when Chris Jackson was our target at the wide receiver coach uh, or our target for the wide receiver coach vacancy. But he was coaching the Jaguars and we had to wait until the Jaguars lost in the playoffs for us to announce that hire. Well, Rod Wright, like I said, former All-American, former national champion at the University of Texas, is the assistant defensive line coach for the Houston Texans. And the Houston Texans lost this past weekend to the Baltimore Ravens. So if he is indeed the target, if he is indeed the choice, then Texas should be announcing the defensive line coach hire any moment now, right? And I think this is a huge pickup for Texas in terms of bringing one of your own home, bringing a national champion and All-American at that position home. Um, I think that'll really translate in terms of recruitment you know, like, oh, I played here. I won a national champion here. I can help championship here. I can help you do the same. And then in terms of development, right? Like he's one of the best defensive linemen the University of Texas has ever seen. He played uh, seven years of professional football between the NFL and, you know, the CFL. And I would believe that he would be able to, you know, teach uh, high school players, you know, to perform at a high level. Right. So, like I said, All-American and national champion at Texas, 13 years of coaching experience at Texas, UTSA, Miami, East Carolina, and then now or formerly with the Texans, hopefully seven years of professional football played in the NFL and in the CFL. And like I said, he should provide a solid combination of recruiting and development. So um, not sure if he is going to be the actual defensive line coach. He still has to be hired and announced, but that's where all the smoke has been for almost a month now that Rod Wright would be the choice. And I think if he is the choice, I'm not going to sit here and say he'll be better then Bo Davis comparison is the thief of joy. But I think Rod Wright, a former All-American and national championship, national champion at the University of Texas, but over 13 years of coaching experience might be as close to a home run higher as you can get at the defensive line coaching position. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Locked On Longhorns, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.